Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you and share in today's service. I'd like to begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, a, prayer, a book of prayer demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. Many doors open before me. Many doors open before me at the dawn of thy coming. O Lord, the very earth shone with life when thou camest. The very ground on which I stood thrilled me because of thee. Everywhere dumb matter spoke to me, spirit resurrected by thy touch. All living things swayed in the incense breeze of thy approach, hinting at thy perfume of bliss. The sanctuary of omnipresence was long hidden by the darkness of my indifference. Now on the revealed courtyard of thy temple, I find thy fountain of joy gaily bubbling. With uplifted palm cups of craving, I catch and drink from the vital waters of thy solace. Lord, I know now that I shall thirst nevermore. So I'd like to go on a journey with you all, a journey following how Divine Mother, how God first manifested creation and became what we see before us. Paramahansa Yogananda said when God was in his absolute form, it was just perfect stillness. And he took a portion of that bliss consciousness, Sat Chit Ananda, ever existing, ever conscious, ever new bliss, and he set it into motion. And that initial form of manifestation created the astral plane, or the causal plane, the realm of ideas, the blueprints of creation. And as those bliss ideas continue to expand and condense, it formed the astral universe, the realm of energy and light. And as that energy continued to condense, we see before us the physical reality. But it's important to remember that that seed of bliss was manifest at every stage of creation, that you and I are all manifestations of that bliss. At the heart of our being, we are Sat Satchitananda. Nothing separates us from that. Bliss is who and what we truly are. And just as the oil is present throughout the olive, so is God's bliss present throughout all creation. And so we are on this journey of awakening the remembrance of that bliss. And the way we experience that bliss is the inner soul call to rise, that call to embrace that higher road to expansion, to experience life from that plane of superconscious perception of who and what we are. I had a most amazing conversation with a friend online, a student, and he was telling me, sharing with me, what led him to embark on this spiritual journey. And very early on, every time he turned, you know, closed his eyes, he felt his energy being drawn into this blue tunnel of light. And he had a little bit of mixed feelings about this experience. At first, he felt very scared because this blissful expansion was drawing him out of a reality he's grown accustomed to, the physical body. And yet, on the other side, he felt that expansive bliss. He felt himself freer, more joyful, more himself. And like any other conscientious person would do, he went to Google to look up the symptoms. <laughs> And he typed in all these symptoms, and no, WebMD did not come up with a diagnosis, but none other than Ananda.org on the page, What is the Spiritual Eye? 
And so he realized that what he was going through was not something outside of the spiritual life. And it motivated him to take it more seriously, more earnest. And so it is for all of us. We've heard that soul call. It may have manifested differently than going into a blue tunnel, but nonetheless, it's inspired us. It's motivated us to embrace the spiritual life more deeply. And so one could say the whole spiritual life, this whole journey back to the infinite state, is one of learning how to cooperate with this inner call. And so the techniques we practice, the attitudes we develop, it's all helping us to align with that soul call, which is God's bliss drawing us into his infinite state. And so much more than what we do outwardly, it's how we do it. As Swami Kriyananda said, really the attitude in which we live our lives is more important than anything else. And so recently, I read in the mystifying Patanjali, three key attitudes that Swami said, if we adopt and integrate these in our lives, our energy would be more elevated, our consciousness more open. And I would like to explore these three attitudes of self-control, devotion, and calmness. Well, self-control is one of those interesting ones, some things that we sometimes like to stray away because it may sound rigid or controlling, but I would like to pick it up by this thread that each and every one of us are at a perpetual crossroads. Every moment of our lives, a choice is thrust upon us. Do we turn towards the light or do we turn away from the light? Do we open ourselves to God's love or do we reject God's love? And it's not a black or white issue. It's not either or. We're a mixture of qualities, some very much open to God's light and some still kind of holding on to its own reality. And so the spiritual life in this effort of exercising self-control is learning to turn every thought, feeling, experience, everything we encounter in life to turn that upwards towards God. Essentially, we need to turn the cup of our hearts up so God can fill us. You know, Swami Kriyananda likened God's grace as sunlight on the side of a building. And this sunlight shines equally on all the windows, whether they're open or closed. And when the, open, the windows are open, of course, the room is illuminated. And so that building with all those windows represents our consciousness. Some aspects open, some aspects closed. And all of us have come a great distance on the spiritual life or else we wouldn't be here today. And so we've developed spiritual abilities, spiritual strengths, God-given abilities to turn more deeply into the path, to offer more to God. But we can't rest there. We can't stop there. We have to use our strengths so that we continue to go through the building of our consciousness and opening those windows wide to allow God's grace to flow. And in that, we find that we've never been separate. Everything that we've ever longed for in life is to be discovered within us. I had this interesting experience when I first moved to the village. I uh, started working with prop at property services, and I must admit that my scope or my idea of what it meant to serve a spiritual work was very narrow. And so I was out there in the snow and the rain, digging ditches, fixing toilets, and I wondered, is this really my spiritual life? Is this spiritual work? Well, Divine Mother saw ample space to teach me valuable lessons there. 
So for many, you know, for many, I'm about to say many lifetimes, probably many lifetimes, but many years working for property services, I started to realize, especially working with saintly people, where the joy in their eyes shone, whether they were fixing a toilet or whether they were giving service, nothing was different. And I realized I must be missing something here. Let me go inside. Let me find that joy, which is unconditioned by circumstance. And Divine Mother finally tested me one day, and I was mowing. Ananda Village has a lot of grass. For those online who've never been here, a lot of grass. And we, <laughs> we use tractor mowers, which has a huge five-foot diameter blade. And so one day I was mowing happily, and I ran over a hose, which I didn't know I ran over a hose. But then it coiled up around the propeller. And all of a sudden, it felt like it was raining. <laughs> well. It wasn't. It was middle of August. It was not raining. And I looked to my right, and a standpipe was gushing out water. The hose was attached, and I had pulled it out. So I worked with Ramu. So I jumped off the tractor and enthused for the next opportunity, and I dug up the repair, and I noticed it was very complicated. It was a union of like three different pipes. And no matter what I did, I couldn't repair it. Again and again, I tried everything I could to no avail. But then I remember God is present equally in this mud ditch with this broken water main than he is in Kriya Yoga. So let me pray to Babaji. Babaji, I know there must be an answer. I know there's a solution at hand. You must show me what I need to do. And I kid you not, I got very still. My eyes were closed. And like a lightning bolt, an image flashed before my mind of the repair that I needed to put together. And I was stunned because as soon as I put those pieces together, it fit right in in place. So naturally, I had to ask myself, who knew Babaji was a master plumber? <laughs> who knew? But of course, he's one with the universe. He's a master plumber. And so we have to remember behind all life's circumstances is that bliss that is calling for us to rise. Divine Mother has one wish, and that's to awaken us. And that wish to awaken us is manifest in every circumstance, in every moment of our life. If we but just turn our experiences, turn our hearts, turn our energy, whether it's difficult or easy, turn it towards the light, and God will awaken that memory within each and every one of us. So devotion. You know, devotion, we all know the importance of devotion. I mean, Paramahansa Yogananda said, Kriya plus devotion is like mathematics. It cannot fail. And that put devotion pretty high on the altar of life, didn't it? But it's an often misunderstood quality because it's equated with love. And I've heard many people say, well, I don't feel love in my heart. I must not be devoted. But love is an aspect of devotion. It's not the sum total. It's not everything. And so there's other aspects we can tune into in developing and deepening our devotion in life. Devotion is the yearning of heart. It is the commitment of our will focused towards a certain goal. Yogananda had a, a charming example of living next to a restaurant and knowing everything on the menu, knowing the exact food that it prepares, even knowing where the chef has come from in the training of the chef, where they source their ingredients, but never have they gone inside and ordered a meal. And Yogananda said, devotion is the hunger that drives us to the restaurant, sit down and enjoy the meal. And so we all are naturally hungry for those things that promised happiness. Whatever we think will promise happiness, 
our will will naturally be behind us, guiding us, encouraging us, moving us along, trying to fulfill those goals. Without devotion, success in any area of life is impossible. But as disciples, as devotees, we realize no goal outside of the self wherever will ever fulfill us. And so we've reached that point where we know that joy is inside. And so devotion for us, it's important to hold before us the highest possible attainment. One of the Sunday service uh, topics, I won't steal the thunder, but how high shall we aspire to the heights? As high as we can see for ourselves. Let's strive to be Jiva Muktas because as Yogananda Ji said, God will fulfill all our desires. And Swami with a bit shocked said, even for an ice cream cone? Yes, even for that. So why set our mark low? Because as it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So it's natural as we go throughout our life and we seek God, we meditate, we develop positive magnetism, the things of this world will be drawn to us. Even spiritual experiences will be drawn to us. But are we going to allow ourselves to just grow satisfied on that level? Invest those blessings. Take those blessings into your meditation. Keep the hunger of the heart very much alive for being a Jiva Mukta, to be free from ego, to live in that bliss. I remember this one time I went over Devarshi, Naya Swami Devarshi's house to have pancakes, admittedly, but nonetheless, wish it was more exalted than that, but you know, we got to eat too. And I was quite startled what I saw on his refrigerator because I grew up in the culture where my refrigerator was filled with family photos and schedules and to-do lists and all these things that on a very practical level are important. All he had on his fridge was this thing, this piece of paper printing out, printed out in bold letters, moksha. And I was like, wow, keeping his priorities straight. And not to say we can't have our photo, photos on the fridge, it's not saying that but to keep our heart focused on what's really important and stop at nothing until we achieve that. There is this interesting story about a saint that was reputed to live 300 years. And this saint through many, many years of sadhana had developed the seven cities, I believe it's seven, but all the spiritual powers that one can develop. And he was a little bit prideful of this. He kind of felt this was his pride and joy. All his life he was striving for these powers and they came. Fantastic. But he felt he was leaving his body and he wanted to pass on his inheritance, if you will, spiritual inheritance, to a worthy yogi. And so he fine-tuned his intuition and who should I pass on these cities to that he infused in some clay balls. And this young yogi came to his, into his vision, meditating on top of the Ganges, obviously seemed pretty worthy for these powers. And so he appeared to this young yogi and said, I have been inspired to give you these powers. Do with them as you please, but these are my pride and joy. I treasure these. I can do with these as I please, the young yogi responded. As you please. And he handed him the clay balls and he took them, looked at them, and threw them in the river. And the older yogi is like, what are you doing? I spent my whole life developing these. And the young yogi just looked at him in delusion still. And in that moment, he realized he was placing way too much emphasis on the results of his practice. His devotion was not yet finely tuned 
to that moksha. And so through our life, God will bless us. Let's look at that as road signs. We're heading in the right direction. These things are good. But if we can use those blessings as fuel for deepening our devotion, going deeper in our sadhana, offering more to God. We often hear that if we feel a little joy in our hearts, if we offer that upwards, we're not going to diminish that joy. It's going to deepen that joy. So look at everything in life as fuel to offer to God. And in that offering, we will find his response. We will find ourselves more drawn into that universal oneness, which is essentially who we are. And so moving on to calmness, something one needs, especially standing on stage here. But calmness really lays the foundation of the spiritual path. Without calmness, intuition is impossible. Our ability to directly perceive the divine is wiped clean. Because as it says in the reading, that that static that prevents us from tuning our mental, our heartfelt radios to God's message, those whispers from eternity, that static is the world we live in. You know, it's amazing that Yogananda said that we live in a rajasic galaxy, rajasic restless, at a rajasic time, and how can we be restless? I mean, is there no hope for us? You know, I remember when I was very young, this experience that I had, which I didn't remember until I got on the path. And I was very young, and I was looking up at the stars, and I just felt this at the time, I didn't know what it was, but this calmness drawing me upwards, and I thought, I know you can talk to me, but why can't I hear you? And so, as I was in that experience of trying to communicate to something, another thought popped in my mind. And all of a sudden, my focus was diverted, and the playthings of the world occupied me once again. And so it is with calmness that the great sage Patanjali says that it is the seeking of our happiness outside of ourself which agitates the heart. That's what creates the ripples on our mind, which prevents us from clearly perceiving of who and what we truly are. But how do we really establish this calmness? You know, it's not something we can merely affirm, though affirmation surely has a role to play. But it's really to remember that our highest happiness, it can't be found in things. It can't be found in any degree of worldly success, just getting our way, getting all our ducks in a row. And we realize that on some level. And yet, again, which windows in our consciousness still remain closed to that truth? And how can we slowly open ourselves to understand that if I can just redirect my energy a little more deeply, a little more completely inside the self, looking for the fulfillment, looking for the healing, looking for the, you know, the release from this pain of ego consciousness in one source alone, God alone. If we make the inner path our main focus, calmness is inevitable. You know, there is this amazing, when I was meditating, this last eight-hour meditation, an image came to mind of tide pools, interestingly enough, but how tide pools are only visible low tide. And I remember being a youngster going to the beach in Half Moon Bay and seeing all the interesting sea life and all these 
beings in these little crags and crevices. And then slowly, not all at once, the tide slowly fills those tide pools, slowly fills all those little crevices with, those, with the water of the ocean. And so it is with meditation. So it is with deepening our calmness, deepening our experience with the divine in our lives. It's not just going to be like a light switch that turns on. If it is, hurry home, like, good for you, that's great. But I have felt it as that wave, slowly and gradually washing over my consciousness, filling my mind, filling my heart a little at a time. And if I was able to remain open to that experience, calmly receptive, then that experience slowly could wash over my awareness, my consciousness. You know, there's this beautiful image that I'm sure most of us have heard of, but of that a lake, of that of a lake, and how this lake, when it's perfectly still, will perfectly reflect the full moon from above. That's like our consciousness. When we can be perfectly still, remain unattached by outward circumstance, unaffected by pain or pleasure, centered calmly in ourself, then we can perfectly perceive that infinite consciousness. We don't have to create it. It's already there. We just have to be able to open ourselves to it. But every time we get restless, every time our likes and dislikes get in a little tiffy, our desires and attachments get stirred up, it's like throwing little rocks, little pebbles, big boulders into that lake, creating these distortions, these ripples on that surface of the lake, which distorts that full moon's image. And so it's important for us to remember that we're not creating divine consciousness. We're not creating bliss. We're not creating calmness. We're not creating our own freedom. It exists already. We just have to align ourselves to be open to receive it. There's this fun story, which I always love reading about in the autobiography of uh, Sri Yukteswar's first meeting of Babaji. And here's this great deathless yogi appearing to him in a, in a narrow little lane. And Sri Yukteswar, upon realizing his Babaji, was a little bit excited, was like, come to my house. I want to I honor your presence. And uh, Babaji quietly refused. And he said, okay, just stay here. I'm going to go off and get some sweetmeats, some sweets. And he dart, dashed off to the nearest store. And he came back and Babaji was gone. And he was a little bit hurt by that. And so months or weeks later, when he met him for the second time, Sri Yukteswar is visiting his Guru Lahiri Mahashaya. And the door opened and in came Babaji. One day it'll happen to us. In comes Babaji and we'll embrace him. We won't run off. And he was a little cold. Sri Yukteswar was a little aloof. And Babaji could perceive he was a little hurt. And he says, of course, you left me. He said, Yukteswar, you nearly extinguished me from the ether, from your restlessness. And so it is in our lives. We nearly extinguish our perception of the divine, which is there just behind the darkness of closed eyes, just behind every thought and feeling we could ever have. It's that divine consciousness which is emanating it, supporting it, and helping it to rise if we but remain receptive to it. And so as Paramahansa Yogananda said in his poem Samadhi, that by longer, deeper, guru, thirsty, guru-given meditation comes this celestial samadhi. 
we must realize that samadhi is our inherent birthright. It is the destiny of every soul on this, in this creation. And as Kriyanandaji said at a recent celebration of Yogananda's birthday, it's up to us whether we cooperate with that or we resist it. As Ananda Ma said, we're all on the same train. We're all heading in the same direction, but we can choose to be in the back, in the caboose, or in the front. I don't know about you, but even the term caboose doesn't really sound all that appealing. You know, I do not want to be in the caboose. So let us apply ourselves. We just started a new year. It's auspicious. We have an opportunity to dive deeper in our practice, to remember by longer, deeper, thirsty, Guru-given meditation comes as samadhi, that if we can pour our energy into all that we do, in the singing, in the meditating, in the chanting, service, we have an incredible opportunity at hand, a life that the blessings are far more than we probably could realize, but we know it and we appreciate it. We're so thankful. So let's dive into that. Let's pour all that we can into this life and God will surely respond. Many blessings. Thine for eternity.